take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Go and tell the world about Him. That's our task. It doesn't matter whether it is in uh, Cary, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., Dunn, North Carolina. It doesn't matter whether it's our missionaries serving in the various places that they're serving around the world. Our job, our task, our commission is to tell the world about Jesus, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change our world. That's what's going to change hearts and minds. That's what's going to change people. That is what is ultimately going to change our culture, our society. 1 Thessalonians is a letter that is written to believers in a different time and a different place in a completely different culture. They lived in a Greek culture, one that was deviant even by our standards of modern America. They lived in a time hundreds of years ago. But the challenge for them is the same challenge for us, and that is to be ready for Christ's return. It is important for us to not just know that He is coming back, but for us to be living as if it is true. There is a vast difference between having knowledge and understanding and it actually making a difference in our lives. There are many things that we know. Someone has said that we are educated far beyond our obedience. There are many things that we know, but knowing something doesn't always make a change and make a difference. I mean, we all know um, disturbed therapists, unhealthy doctors, unethical pastors, hypocritical Christians. We know things, but our lives don't always match up with what we know. I think one of the ways that that first hit home with me was when um, our oldest son was just about to be born, and I got Lynn into, we got her to the room, and the doctor said, it's going to be a little while. And so he said, I recommend you go get something to eat, because he said, you know, it's, it's been all through the night, and you probably need to go get you some breakfast. Well, there's something about being around medical people and hospitals that makes me a little health conscious. And so I began to reconsider some of my dietary choices at that point. Um, I wasn't quite ready to rule out bacon at that point, and that's never a good choice. Let me just say, if you ever feel compelled to do away with bacon, that is not the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you at that moment. That is clearly not of God. But I began to think, maybe I need to get something a little healthier. And so I got in line to go through the cafeteria, and there were a couple of doctors in front of me. And I thought, what better time? One of them had a, a badge that said cardiologist. And so I said, what, I'm going to follow what this man does. Surely, if anybody knows what's good for you, then that, that's... And I passed up the biscuits and the gravy and all, the, all those healthy options that they had at the hospital cafeteria. And I watched this man, and he went through, and he got a meatloaf sandwich smothered in gravy and fried onions and peppers. And I said to myself, I said I'm going to have what he had. So having knowledge doesn't necessarily mean you live that way. And so Paul, as he is writing to the Christians at Thessalonica, he wants them to know that Christ is coming back. Chapter 4 and 5 that we looked at last week, that's the whole message. Christ is coming back. The rapture is a reality. But it's not enough for us just to know it. It needs to make a difference in our lives. So through this entire epistle and these first chapters, Paul is going to give 
admonitions and challenges about what that actually looks like. What does it look like to be ready for Christ's return? We'll see some of these truths as we work our way through, and in every chapter, we know the chapter divisions are not inspired, but in every chapter, Paul is going to speak about the coming of Christ because he wants that thread to be woven through this letter for them to be prepared. I'm going to read quickly through this chapter. You listen quickly. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Let me pause a minute and say he's remembering what has taken place. If you want to take the time later to go back to Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, and you'll see the story of what happened in Thessalonica, how this church was established. But that's what Paul is remembering. Now look at verse 4. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only. I want you to pay close attention to verses 5 and 6, because this is the heart of this chapter. No, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all them that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And here it is, here's the, the word of the coming of Christ, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. Aren't you glad that Christ has delivered us from the wrath to come? When he, as we sang just a moment ago, called my name and I walked out of that grave. He, he raised us from the dead and we don't have to face the wrath to come. What is the truth of this passage? Paul is reminded of this strong group of believers in Thessalonica. He calls them, it's the church at Thessalonica. It is a church that is ready for Christ's return. And the same things that made them a ready church are the things that would make us a ready church. Yes, we will face in our day and our culture, and we are facing things that are unprecedented in our, in our country and in our society. And there are unique ways that we must be prepared. We need to be prepared for what many believers around the world and through history have experienced and faced. And that is persecution, and that is pressure, and that is not the liberties and freedoms that we have enjoyed. That day may come, but what helps us to be prepared is the message of the gospel. Where are we? Are we a gospel-ready church? Are we a church that is engaged in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, it's easy for us to say that we're a gospel church. We have gospel tracts in our rack out there in the front. We preach the gospel. We sing gospel music. We, we send gospel missionaries. There are some specific things that are mentioned here that are true for every church in every place and every time. 
and that is that we are to be ready for His return. The church, of course, is the people that He's writing to. The word church is used over a hundred times in the New Testament and never once does it refer to a building. In fact, it was about 200 years or so after Christ left this earth that they even began to have the first building used for worship. We use that term today because that's how we identify this building. This is the church building. But the church in the New Testament is the people that are the church. You are the church. I am a part of the church. We are the church together. That's what Paul is writing to. That's who he is addressing. And that is the message that he will give in this chapter. The verses that we've noticed there in verse 5 and 6, let me point this out to you. Notice this gospel. Our gospel came not unto you in word only. They have to hear the word of the gospel. They heard the message of the gospel. It wasn't only word, but it started with them hearing the word. Let me tell you that our world needs to hear the message of the gospel. It is a popular saying in our day to preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And I I get the heart of that. But that misses the point that the message of the gospel, Jesus didn't say, go you into all the world and live a good life hoping people will be drawn to Christ. He said, go you into all the world and preach, proclaim boldly the gospel. And that is the message of proclamation. You heard it in word, he said, but it wasn't just in word. There are people who have heard the word of the gospel. They have heard the message of the gospel. But he says it was also in power. Aren't you glad for the day when you heard the message of the gospel, but it was a quickening word to your heart, and it brought faith to your heart, and you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Most of us would say, I heard the gospel a number of times before I got saved, before I trusted Christ. But I am glad for the day when in the back seat of my family's car, riding down the road, that I heard the gospel one more time, and it came not only in word, but it came in power. And the Holy Spirit of God quickened my heart and made my heart alive in the gospel. And it meant more than just words. It came in word, and it came in power. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm glad for that day when it quickened my heart. Not just how did it come in power, because of the next phrase that he says, you'll see it there, it came in power and in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God is the one that regenerates and brings life and new birth to us. The wind blows where it listed, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit of God. Born with power from above. That's the power of God. It's the Word. And that is what our world needs to experience. They don't need a bunch of religious people gathering in our religious buildings. They need to see the power of God actively changing our lives. It's not enough for us one day to get into the kingdom of heaven. God is at work putting the kingdom of heaven into us. Changing us and radically making us like Him. We want to be a church that is ready for Christ's return. We need to be a church that is experiencing the work of God and the work of the gospel. And then he says it came with much assurance. I am so glad that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John said in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 
These are people who have heard the word. They have experienced the work of the gospel. And it's not just in that moment when we trust Christ. It is an ongoing work of the Spirit of God in our hearts where the gospel is being completed. You see, I have been saved. I am being saved. And one day I will be saved. You say, wait a minute, that sounds a little crazy. Aren't we Baptists? We believe in once saved, always saved, eternal security. Yes, I am saved. I have been saved. My soul was saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. But I am being saved. I'm being sanctified. I'm being made like Jesus Christ. And the work of redemption that God began in my salvation is continuing unto the day that I will be completely saved, and that is glorification. I'm glad that there's all of that going on. You see, we like, the, we like the justification part. I am saved. And we like the glorification part. One of these days, I'm going to get to go to heaven and be like Jesus. What we want to skip is that work of the gospel in between, where the gospel is radically changing our lives and making us different. We want to blend in as much as possible. We want to find their comfort zone in the world and be that way. But for us to be a ready church... We need to be experiencing the work of the gospel. Are you experiencing that work? Or is your salvation just something that happened a long time ago? Are you living the truth of the gospel? He said, look at this. I, I want you to see these things that he, they're experiencing. The three things that Paul says. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, Now abideth these three, faith, hope, love. Look at verse Look at verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what's taking place in their lives. This is what is happening. Let me tell you that my salvation is not just some theoretical truth that I know that I'm saved and it's all good. It is something that is to be lived out daily. And it doesn't matter what place we're serving that's why i'm so glad that chad was able to be here today and share that testimony why because god is working in his life and he's living that out in a particular way that god has placed a call in his life he'll go places if god guides and opens those doors he'll go places that i will never go and his task is to be a gospel-filled Christian, a spirit-filled, gospel-living Christian where God's placed him. And let me tell you that God wants the same for every one of you. It doesn't matter what occupation you're a part of. It doesn't matter what field God has called you to. It doesn't matter where you live. We think about our missionaries going and sharing the gospel, as we'll see in just a moment. But look, the missionaries are just the church being the church somewhere else. They're doing there what we're supposed to be doing here. And we're just living out what the gospel is doing in our hearts. Notice the second evidence of a ready church. A ready church is experiencing the work of the gospel. But then Paul will also point out that the ready church is an example or has an example that is a witness to the gospel. Do you see what their testimony is doing? As the gospel is at work in them, what's happening? Look in verse, we'll drop down to verse 7 for sake of time. So that ye were examples, or ex, it's an old English word for examples, has a similar meaning. 
to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. He said, I've gone to these other areas and they've heard about what God is doing in your life. They've heard about the power of the gospel because of the difference it's making in your life. Look, it is wonderful for us to speak the gospel. I just said a few moments ago, we are to, to be obedient, we are to proclaim the gospel. But it's not enough to just speak it if our lives are not also backing it up. Their lives were backing up what they claimed to believe. And he says, you are examples, living examples, but not also to those in Macedonia and Achaia. Look at verse 8. But also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Paul is saying they already know about the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel. They have already heard. Do you know that it is possible for a person to reject the word of the gospel and yet be touched by a godly life? Peter says that about believing wives. Do you remember that passage? He says, let the believing wife live in such a way that her unbelieving husband may be one without the word. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. But without the word, he may still be won by looking at her godly life and example. You see, which one would we rather have? Are we supposed to share this gospel and speak the gospel, or are we just supposed to live the gospel? Well, let me ask you this. Would you rather be able to just breathe out or breathe in? It's not a choice of which one. It's both. We share the gospel, we proclaim it, but their lives were an example. Notice this phrase here, I want you to see this. He says, it sounded out, verse 8, you sounded out the word of the Lord. They proclaimed it as a trumpet. Let me tell you that that is proclaiming the message of the gospel. That is why we do what we do. When we give to missions and the dozens of missionaries serving around this world. When we give to them, we're doing that not so they can go and make someone's life a little better, though they may be doing that. We, we send them so they can go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is, a, this is a church that does what our desire is, and that is to, with local hands, leave some global fingerprints. He says, everywhere I go... I hear them talking about the church at Thessalonica. They left some fingerprints. And our missionaries and the mission projects that we partner with in West Africa and in the islands and in Montana, the ongoing mission projects, it's not just so we'll be busy and have something to do and have something to give toward. It is so the message of the gospel will be trumpeted to those places so that those that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ will hear the message of the gospel. He says, you have trumpeted it out. You have sounded out the word of the Lord. Can I give you a, a word about that that I think is very important? In the early church, within just a few short decades, the gospel went to nearly all the world. The church grew from just a few hundred to literally over into hundreds of thousands. And we often think about the apostles. We think about Paul and we think about Peter. But I love what one of the enemies of the gospel said in the early centuries, a man by the name of Celsus. 
He said the gospel is not being proclaimed in great, by great men. The gospel is being proclaimed in the kitchens and the marketplaces, the common places. In fact, he considered that, a, he considered that an insult to Christianity. He said the Christian, Christianity is for the poor and the base and the common. I'm glad for that. Not many wise are called, the Bible says. The gospel goes out not just because of missionaries. It is said that most of the converts were made by anonymous Christians whose witness led others to their faith. They spread the gospel both near and they spread it far away. So the question for us this morning is this. The first question I would ask you is, have you experienced the gospel? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you heard the message of the gospel and the Holy Spirit has quickened it to your heart? I'm not asking you if you could tell me. I have had people tell me, preacher, I am not a Christian, but I, I can tell you how to be saved. They could tell me the plan of salvation just as clear as could be, and they didn't even profess. They knew the word. I'm talking about this morning as the Holy Spirit made that word alive to your heart and you have trusted Christ as your Savior. If you haven't done that, I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you profess to be a Christian. I'm, you know, there's a vast difference between being a professor of faith and a possessor of faith. I'm asking you, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you experienced? If you haven't, then this morning we'll give you the opportunity to come in the invitation to right where you are, trust Christ, speak to one of us after the service. We just want you to know Jesus as your Savior. That's what matters. If you have done that, let me ask you, are you experiencing that work of the gospel in your life? Or are you just content with having your ticket into heaven and just can't wait for, you're going to sit back and wait for the gospel train to roll in and you're going to ride it to heaven? No, I'm going to tell you, it's living it now. Are you experiencing the work of the gospel in your life right now? And then let me ask you this third question. We ask this, I ask this of all of us. Are we sharing the gospel? Who is it in your life that needs to hear the gospel? Who needs to hear the message of salvation? Who needs to hear the good news? Maybe it's someone that you need to invite to church so they can hear a message of the gospel. Maybe it's someone that you need to put a gospel uh, literature in their hands. Maybe it's someone that you need to share your personal testimony with. But I will guarantee you, if you are saved, that God has brought someone into your circle of influence who needs to hear the gospel? Are we expressing the gospel? Well, preacher, Jesus is coming back any time now. Yes, he is. The question is, is when he comes back, will he find us ready? Will he find us ready? Will he find us experiencing gospel work and engaged in gospel work? I love the story. Pastor and theologian in Germany during World War II. Some of you have read some of his books, heard of him, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was thrown into prison because he was one of the few who would speak out against, when many Christians were not, he would speak out against Hitler and the Nazi party. He was thrown into prison, and a group of Christians believed that Hitler was the Antichrist, and they believed that that was a sign that Jesus was coming back soon. And they said, why, uh, Bonhoeffer, why are you experiencing all this? Why are you 
going through all this trouble, Jesus could come back tomorrow, and what would have been the point of it? Why would you suffer? Why would you go through all of this if Jesus comes back and it's all, it's all over anyway? I love his response. He said, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, then tomorrow I will rest from my labor. But today, I have work to do. I must continue the struggle until it is finished. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, then tomorrow our labor will end. But until he does, we have work to be done. Will we be doing that work when Jesus comes back? Will you bow your heads with me for prayer this morning? Have you been content with just being saved? Or are you experiencing daily a genuine, real walk with God, your faith? As Paul says in this chapter, the work of faith. Working out your faith. If you're not, then I want to invite you this morning to the altar to come and say, God, I want to be experiencing not just the beginning and the ending of my salvation. I want to experience what you're doing right now. Maybe this morning, maybe there's somebody that God has laid on your heart that you need to be more burdened about their salvation. You need to be proclaiming the gospel. Maybe there's some way that God has put in your heart that you can. Maybe it's on the job and being a witness and a testimony. Maybe it's being bolder and sharing the gospel. Whatever it might be, maybe you need to come and pray for that particular person or pray for God to give you the boldness. Someone shared with me just a few weeks ago how God had spoken to their heart about being more bold as a Christian on the job and how God was using that. Maybe there's another burden or need that you have. As we have the invitation, if God's speaking to your heart, I invite you to come for a time of prayer. Father, speak to us this morning. Use this word to be powerful. May it not just be in word only, may it be in the power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance.